Hello, you pet stylists. You found the Broom Pod. Welcome to our virtual salon. My name is Susie, and I'm your host. I'm a mobile groomer from Seattle, Washington, and anyone who knows me will tell you I love to talk, especially about my job. One of my favorite people to talk to is my friend and mentor and co-star of the show, Miss Barbara Bird. Hello, groomers, and welcome to the Groom Pod Remix Show. Barbara and I took the week off, so I've assembled some old shows for you guys to listen to. We're doing the topic of shampoo, safety, and quats for cleaning, and then a couple of Ask Barbara questions at the end. So this podcast is brought to you by our kind sponsors, Best Shot, Show Season, Evolution Shears, Groomore, and Stasco. And if you'd like to support your podcasters who had the week off, you can certainly go to our website and click on the donation button and leave us a donation there, or you can join us on Patreon. This week, since there's no what's new, we will start off the show with Groomore. If you're looking for a software solution for your shop, mobile, or house call, Groomore is it. It has online booking and online forms and intake or matted dog forms, payment processing, reminders and wait lists, inventory, routing, calendar and QuickBooks syncs, and most importantly, 24-hour service. And they've given us a great offer. You can switch over to Groom More and try it for two months at half off. Just put in the code GroomPod. Ready, groomers? Here comes our first appointment. Barbara, there's always a lot of discussion about shampoo storage and shampoo safety and what happens if you don't store your shampoo right. And I just kind of wanted to revisit that. We've talked about it before, but you really are a great resource for information on this. How do you recognize in your undiluted bottle of clothes shampoo that it's gone bad. I mean, what is it that indicates that there's something wrong with your shampoo? This is in its original bottle. It can be either opened before or unopened, but it's in your storage area and you come upon it and you what? Look at it, smell it, taste it. I don't know. How do you tell your shampoo's well, gone bad? You, you want to use all of your senses. You want to look for changes in odor. Uh, either doesn't smell right, it smells off, or it smells actually sour, or just it doesn't seem to have the same fragrance that it did. And you want to look at it because it can uh, kind of be off color or sort of have a grayish tinge, and or it can separate. So separation in itself is really an indication that the emulsifier has failed. So the question becomes, if there's layers, where's the preservative? Is it equally distributed in those layers or is it in one or the other? Good you point. Know, like, yeah, and can you just shake it up and then have it preserved or has there been contamination of an unprotected layer? We don't know, I don't know what's going on in that bottle when the layers separate the exception uh when layering is not alarming is when it says shake well before using then you know you don't have an emulsifier that's predetermined that's used 
to keep everything uniform in the in the product if there's no emulsifier and it says shake well before using you don't need to be alarmed by separation but for the most part separation means something funny has happened and i would dump that product the other thing that can happen is uh, the container itself can warp or collapse kind of like bloating cans kind of thing kind of like bloating cans or yeah it can either bloat or it can contract and you know so if the bottle goes all wonky you want to toss it well i have to admit if there is enough airspace in my bottles in the garage and it's 30 degrees they kind of crunch up a little bit, but they always well, come back to normal size. But that's different, though, right? But 30 degrees, you know, like, you got to be careful about extreme temperatures either way can cause product deterioration. I mean, it, it, not all of the ingredients of every product are going to hold up against excessive cold or heat. Well, it's only um, 30 degrees outside. It's not 30 degrees where my shampoo is, but it's it's probably 55 or 60 degrees where the well, shampoo is. Well, see, I, see, I think that's probably ideal. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that kind of range in, in the 50s and 60s is real good. I'm I, It's more warm where I live, so I, you know, like we have more of a problem in the summertime with uh, products maybe overheating. Well, I got um, a question, though. What makes the shampoo like alter the volume in the bottle or squish up or blow out or whatever what makes that spoilage (laughs) (laughs) spoilage so there's two forms of spoilage there's oxidation and there's contamination so oxidation is when oxygen intermingles with the product and it causes an ingredient or two to oxidize and kind of morph into another form. Oxidation is particularly problematic for for groomers when it's products that contain uh, delimonene. Oh, so, so there are no opaque bottles, right? Or, or dark colored bottles usually. Well, that's one of the things, yeah. Opaque bottles, dark bottles, usually if a product is subject to oxidation, it's going to want to be in a solid bottle or a dark bottle. I mean, for example, when we have essential oils, we always store essential oils in dark glass. So you could have oxidation of ingredients, and what that does is it, Uh, causes an ingredient to become much more likely to sensitize, to cause irritation or allergic response. Now that could happen and it can be not necessarily detectable. Um, That's not good. Yeah. If there's oils or fats in the bottle, they can become rancid through oxidation. And that's pretty detectable by smell, right? We all, we've all smelled that. You smell dog food that has gone rancid, and there's a kind of a, a, a typical odor. Or to, olive oil. Olive oil is uh, one. Yeah. It has um, a rancid smell sometimes if it's been around too long, or vegetable oils do, uh, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So, so <clears throat> a lot of products will contain antioxidants 
in order to prevent oxidation. And antioxidants can be, uh, a good one is uh, vitamin E, tocopherols. Uh, and so sometimes companies put antioxidants in their shampoo to prevent oxidation, but they're, they're advertised more for uh, nourishing the hair. You know right. what I'm saying? But the real reason they're there is to prevent oxidation of the of the substance. Okay, so then the other form of spoilage is contamination. And that's the scarier one. Because okay. contamination is usually bacterium, such as something off your hands or Yeah, you know, like you know, if in the you, air, are you, well, in the air, but in the water, around right. the tub, there's a lot of bacteria and um, fungi in our in our environments, in our wet bathing environments. That just it's they're just it's a given, and you know where there's a lot of contamination on money. <laughs> yeah, I do know so, that. <laughs> you know what? You know, I I mean, you you hear it all the time. I heard it the other day. Someone asserted that there was more fecal material on a dollar bill than on your toilet seat. <laughs> I don't want to know, know that. What? And so, you know what? If you handle money, let's say, like, you send out a dog and you take the payment and it's cash and you handle the money, and then you go back into the bathing area and you open the shampoo, what have you done? You've just taken the bacteria from that money. It's transferred onto your hands. Your hands are opening the shampoo bottle, and you're contaminating around the top of that shampoo bottle. Now, in a normal <laughs> circumstance... Right when you get it, and it's a shampoo that's within its lifespan, and it's been properly formulated, the preservatives and the antioxidants and stuff will battle those creepy crawlies, the bacterias and stuff. But if it's been around too long, maybe not so much, right? There's generally a two to three year shelf life on most typical shampoos. Less so on shampoos that are using plant materials, botanicals, or protein materials, which are feedstock, or if diluted with water, water is like fertilizer to the garden of microbial ickies. Okay. It's like fertilizer. It just contains a lot of... Uh, food for uh, proliferation. But at this point in our industry, there is no requirement to put a use-by or produced-on date on the bottle. So we actually have not much of an idea of when that shampoo was produced or how long it sat on the shelf, either at the distributor or at the manufacturer. Yeah, there... That's true for the United States. Now, in Europe, um, the general cosmetic uh, industry, they have more like, they have uh, icons. They have they have little 
they have information on their bottles about if it's a used by, they have a, a picture of a jar with a lid open in it, and then it'll say 12M, which means 12 months from the time you open it. Oh, that's a good system. That we yeah. There you go. This is somewhere where legislation would really be helpful for our products. It would be lovely if people would volunteer to do that. But that way we wouldn't have to guess how long ago our shampoo was made, especially if we don't go through it that quickly. Yeah, there are some, there's an occasional manufacturer, and maybe it's somebody that's selling products in Europe that requires it, that will have a manufacturing date on it. Uh, we just don't see use by dates. The other, because the other interesting thing is that a product can be manufactured in like November 2018 and it gets sent to a distributor and it sits in their warehouse for how long? Depends on the popularity of the product and how well the, the distributor uh, is able to order and restore restock products if it's a less used product it might sit at a distributor for six months and that all adds to the time at which you know things can the happen shelf, yeah and the shelf life, and the word plus, plus it 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 diminishes the it uses up some of the shelf life in the system while it's in the system and you don't know what the storage conditions have been So let's talk about what we do when we get it to our place. Now, opening the top a bunch of times also has an effect because it lets stuff in there, air and light and things like that. But if you keep it closed, you keep it in a dark area and you don't dilute it, those are probably your best defenses, right? and, and, And if you... If you reduce the airspace, in other words, if you take something from a big big bottle and you use half of it and then you put the remaining half in a smaller bottle. Less exposure. Ooh, let's Less. talk about refilling bottles really quickly. So when you refill a bottle, which is something that us in the mobile environment do often, because we don't want to carry a gallon of or multiple gallons out there in the world. So if you're going to refill a bottle... What is the best procedure for doing that? How do you clean that bottle to make sure you're not passing along those contaminants so that you make your undiluted but in a smaller bottle shampoo contaminated? Well, you can clean it with soap and water. Soap and water are still the best sanitation, first-line sanitation. As we discussed, I think, last week or a week before when we are talking about the differences in the in the terminology but soap and water you want to clean you want to clean them with soap and water then you could add what you're signaling me isn't shampoo soap and water (laughs) when you're rinsing your bottle out aren't you in effect cleaning it with soap and water or am i wrong yes but are you really cleaning all around the top and the grooves and all of that of the lids and are you cleaning your lids or your plunger uh you know uh you need to clean everything that's contacting the product um and you yeah you know but then i would suggest that you either do a vinegar rinse which acidifies the whole thing and kind of decreases its 
desirability for uh, bacteria or an alcohol rinse if you're dealing with just caps and uh, that kind of stuff. I always air dry. Air dry is good. You want to dry thoroughly before you add, before you refill, because otherwise you're just leaving water or fertilizer in there. Fertilizer. Just think of water as bug fertilizer. <laughs> it's bug food. It's actually bug food, but you know, it's all right. Yeah. Okay. So, so what yeah. else? The well. There are a lot of people out there listening to us. There may be people out there listening to us who do not have either shampoo delivery systems or recirculating bathing systems and are still physically diluting bottles of shampoo every day to use at the tub. What about those? What are the risks there? Well, the risks there are if if you don't use it uh, use the diluted product up, it's more likely to spoil. Um, you can't uh, mix up a diluted product and leave it around for months. And um, that's due to the preservative ratio, right? They've manufactured, right. yeah, they've made it a special formula that's going to keep this amount of shampoo safe. And then you go throwing water in there, which is food for bacteria. And then you've can change the ratio of preservative to shampoo ingredient. Right. See, I do learn. You do. You're a great learner. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there you go. You guys, if you think you can't learn at 57 or or whatever Barbara's age is, uh, it's not true. You can still continue to learn. You can teach old dogs new tricks. We're proof of it right here. So how can you, so you, so the idea is that you just mix up enough shampoo to use for the day. I mean, I used to like to mix up enough shampoo to use for the dog. I just did it one dog at a time in a 16-ounce bottle. I know that's not ideal for the bigger dogs, but that's what I remember. Although, I say that, and I have always had a recirculating bathing system. If you have screwed up and mixed up too much shampoo, what about putting it in the refrigerator? That will help. That will give you a little extra time on that product. Refrigeration is a form of preservation, right? So maybe like you could you could hold it over for the next day's use if you overmix something by putting right, it in the fridge. Right. You know, most likely you're not going to have a content totally contaminated product in 24 hours. It can, especially not in the winter. In the summertime, when it's warm, that's when you really—that's when—that's when bacteria can proliferate overnight, the fastest. In the cooler temperatures of winter, we have less proliferation, and you probably have two or three days leeway there. But to be safest, safest, you would discard unused product or refrigerate at the end of every day. Great advice. Let's talk about those shampoo delivery systems. These are the, they call them bathing systems, but I don't really like that term so much, although they do flush shampoo and soap into the coat in the same way that a recirculator bather does or that our fingers do. But they have 
some form of a tank or receptacle or item that sticks into a gallon or vessel of shampoo, and then it is transmitted through hoses in through some mechanical form of pump and squished out the other end. Those have a tendency to hold bacteria if you don't clean them right. At least right. that is my understanding. Right, because all of that tubing, or in the case of a tank, stuff sitting around in the tank, and and there's valves and that sort of thing, that's where bacteria like to accumulate in those little areas and cracks and crevices and valve systems and tubes. In you theory, know. yeah. In so, theory, your manufacturer has probably given you some instructions on how to clean that thing out, I would hope. I've never used one of those systems except for at the occasional grooming show. But flush it with vinegar maybe? I don't know. What? Vinegar flush sounds good to me. Yeah, I would think if you could just yeah. go buy a white gallon of vinegar and stick the tube into that and suck it through the system maybe, I'm guessing. Yeah, sort of like the how you clean your your coffee maker, right? Uh, I guess. I don't drink coffee, so I've never had a coffee maker. <laughs> all, of, all of my sweet love comes in the form of a blue can and has Pepsi on the label. <laughs> what about recirculating systems? To work effectively, they have to have a prime spot where they hold a little bit of water so that the pump can draw through it and create the suction that then starts the recirculator. Right, right. Always uh, the the pump always has a a little bit of water in the in it that uh, needs to either be flushed out or disinfected in some way. So there's an so you know like what we do is <coughs> run white vinegar solution through the bathing beauty at the end of the day, and then put the pump on its side and the hose over a, a rack so that the uh, hose will dry out and the vinegar stays in the prime of the pump so that bacteria won't grow in there overnight. If you don't do that and you get in the morning and you start to bathe the dog and it smells sour, that's bacteria. Do a flush right then if you didn't right. do it the night before. Ew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I have not taken my bathing beauty completely apart because it seemed to me that it might not go back together. It's very old. Actually, mine's a hydrosurge and it's pretty old. So what I do is I send it in for service and then let them take it apart and put it back together every few years. But for the most part, I do exactly what you're saying. I fill up the bathtub with as little bit of water as I possibly can to make the pump run. And then I dump in a good glug or two or three or four of the white vinegar. White vinegar is very cheap. It's easy to get at any dollar store or at the grocery stores or at the box stores, and it's super cheap. So I glug in some glugs of that, and then I run it through, and then I do what Barbara does. I hang my hose, and I turn my pump on its side. Although the way I drive, I usually, you know, throw that water out of the prime spot well and then and then another thing while you're while you're flushing 
the bathing system with vinegar, you should also be spraying that on the sides of your tub. And, you know, you're actually disinfecting your tub daily that way because there again, it's moist and wet and bacteria love that. My whole trailer is moist and wet. (laughs) especially at this time of year so i have a spray bottle with a bleach cleaning solution for my walls because that's the only way i can keep the mold away you know consistently i know it's just the way it is i have a rhino lined walls and they can harbor stuff in them so i spray it down with bleach don't use necessarily bleach on my bathing beauty though i know some people do that but it has a tendency to break down rubber surfaces and, yeah, and it also is corrosive to metal, and you've got a metal screen there. I, I don't use bleach. The The only thing I use bleach for in my bathing beauty is I would sometimes a little bit of mold will accumulate in the, in the nozzle, in the end, the little end of the nozzle, and it doesn't get, somehow it doesn't get taken care of by the vinegar. So I take the nozzle off and I drop it in an alcohol soak. I, or a bleach, but I, you know, like I am bleach hesitant. There's nothing else that kills the mold like bleach though. Nothing kills mold like bleach. That's true. Yeah. Uh, For my walls, that's what I use. But I, but I, but there are anti-mold. Well, I'm going to say, I bet you I could find you something. Find me something because I have looked. And, and even though I have tried some other alternative products, when I spray the bleach on, I don't have to do anything to it. It just kills everything that's there. Because what shows up are tiny little spots on my wall that are gray. And so I just spray it and they disappear. And they're gone, and they don't come back until it gets wet for another day and a half, and then they might start to show back up, and I spray it down, wipe it down, and it's done. The other stuff, it didn't do that. I didn't kill it on contact. It it required maybe more applications or a drier surface or something that just didn't work very effectively. But there you go. Challenge for you, Barbara. Find me an effective mold killer that I can spray up where I can't reach because it's up in the corners. Gotta yeah, well, I, I need it too because I don't know if you've looked at my ceilings. Not recently. I, God. <laughs> well, you like, don't want to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, All right. You know what I want to do, though? I live moldy. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it's black and it looks icky, but I'm not sure it's viable. How right. can it stay viable in Arizona? You know, I don't Seems think it's unlikely. Can. Seems unlikely. Room pack. Let me tell you about the newest thing from Best Shots Ultramax Pro line. I'm seriously stoked about these products. First up is Ultramax Hair Hold Spray. It's a mindfully created aerosol-free styling spray. It's flexible and can be layered on for a stronger hold. It's quick drying and has the Ultramax Delicate Sweet Pea Fragrance. Next up is my favorite new product in a long time. It's called the Max and I love it to the max. It's a fragrance-free, ultra-concentrate conditioner and detangler. It's so concentrated that one small bottle makes 10 quarts. It reduces drying time, extends manageability, and aids you in achieving optimal coat performance. 
Maps and tangles brush away more easily, and it turns your recirculator into a de-shedding machine. Just a few drops in the final rinse or spray it on and dry it in. It's amazing. Check it all out at ultramaxpro.com and see why Barbara and I are so excited. That's ultramaxpro.com. Contact your favorite Best Shot distributor and order some Max and Hair Hold Spray today. For over 30 years, Best Shot has been making masterpieces out of nightmares in record time. Made from the best stuff on earth. Hey, Chris Bear Anthony here. You may know I've been swiveling for years now with my beloved Evolution shears, but I wasn't actually born with a pair of swivel shears in my hands. Check out our website and Facebook page for our library of how-to videos or give me a shout for a personalized guide. Your hands will thank you. Don't forget, GroomPod listeners get $10 off and free shipping with the code GroomPod. What are you waiting for? Give them a try today. Groomers, take your seats. School is about to begin. All right, Barbara, it's time for school. Get to your desk, put on your thinking caps, folks. We're going to do some veterinary vocabulary. This one's really, really easy today. It's anesthesia. Anesthesia is insensitivity to pain, especially as artificially induced by gas or injection drugs during surgery. That was pretty basic. Yeah, we, I think we all pretty well know that definition. Well, the part of it that I didn't know was I thought it strictly applied to the artificially induced pain-free situation. But insensitivity to pain in general, without having a predetermination or or without adding anything, is actually anesthesia. So that was interesting. Um, The AKC Grooming Glossary is whip tail. Do you know what a whip tail is? And do you know what breeds have a whip tail? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait a minute. A whip tail. Uh, How about the, uh, uh, God, what's that curly-coated Irish? uh, That's the one. (laughs) It's one of, it's one of, it's one of Michelle's favorites. It's one of Michelle's favorite breeds. It's the, it's like the Irish uh, water spaniel. It's the Irish Water Spaniel, perfect example of a whip tail. Also, greyhounds and whippets have whip tails. So oh, yeah. they are thin, short-haired tail. Thin, short-haired tail carried out stiffly and straight and pointed. So, like, not curved up over the back. So, does the Bedlington have a whip tail? I think you would consider that a yeah. whip tail. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. But, you, but the difference the, between the Bedlington tail and the um, Irish Water Spaniel tail, the Bedlington tail has a certain, actually, pattern of grown hair hair on the base of the tail that you leave in a little certain triangular shape, right. and the uh, uh, and the Irish Water Spaniel has a, a cleaned off tail from the base all the way. Am I right? Naked. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. I love, see, I love those kinds of distinctions. It's teeny details that make the difference to whether or not you know the and create the breed profile. 
and the owners don't see them unless they are show people. The owners won't see it, but they'll know that visually it's correct. And if it's not there, they'll know something's off, but they won't know why. Yeah, yeah cool. All right, Barbara, it's time for the definition du jour. Oh boy. Okay, hello there. We've been talking about uh, disinfectants for the, the grooming workplace. It's a little series that I'm doing. And uh, last episode, we talked about bleach. And this episode, I want to talk about quaternary ammonium compounds as disinfectants. Now, many of our listeners will recognize quaternary ammonium compounds we talked about when we talked about conditioners. Yes. Because they're a very important um, class of ingredients used in conditioners. <laughs> what is that? My cat has passed through between the camera and myself <laughs> like four times. Four times. <laughs> this big black cat just goes in front of for Barbara. Right. Right in front of the camera, <laughs> and I and I want to reach out and pet it. <laughs> so here's the deal: there are thousands of quaternary ammonium compounds. It's uh, it's very easy to manufacture. They're totally chemicals, by the way, although they may be. There, uh, it's possible to quaternize almost anything. So one of the ingredients in conditioners, honey quat. Really? So they, they actually quaternize honey, and it becomes a conditioner ingredient. And the effect of quaternization is to make a substance highly cationic. Oh, so it sticks on. It sticks on to the surface to which it is applied. And that, um, and so this is all uh, what you call electrostatic energies, which is what it is used in shampoos and conditioners, electrostatic. Um, the thing about quaternary disinfectants is that they are generally more health safe and more surface safe than bleach. However, they do uh, have a tendency to build up on the surface because of the, making something cationic, it really uh, hangs on, you know. So they can be difficult to rinse off, but they're very safe. And also they can be, partnered with a detergent to make a cleansing and disinfecting substance. By the way, when I finish the series on this, I'll make you a chart. Okay. So, you know, like, so I've seen other charts and I've got charts that I can kind of uh, copy information from, but we'll do our own chart that will show you the, uh, the uses of uh, the different cleansers and what the health hazards are and that kind of thing. So the health hazards for quaternary ammonium compounds are they can trigger asthma and they can even maybe cause asthma if somebody has a 
predilection towards that. They don't cause cancer. They don't uh, mess with the genes. They're not, there's no of those kind of serious effects, but they are highly toxic orally. So they, they really, they, they, they rate the skull and, and crossbones as highly toxic, but in the dilutions that we're using them in the shop, um, there's not, they're less risky than many of the other disinfectants. Remember, anything that is a biocide that kills microbials is, um, got certain hazards attached to it. We need to handle that stuff um, very carefully. The uh, Let me get... So I've got a question. Yeah. So is the labeling for cleaning products different than the labeling for shampoos? Like, do they have to actually put the ingredients on the products we're using to clean our shop? They do need to... The, because these are hazardous ingredients, they I, do they do okay. need to listen. Now, there's uh, oh, and here's something that I uh, appreciated today. Barbicide. There's the cat again. Thank- <laughs> <laughs> He's just gonna stop. What a funny episode! Check this out, Susie. Okay. Barbicide. It's a quad. Oh. I knew that and and had forgotten that. Let me see. Okay, here's the ingredient. Alkyl dimethyl benzyl ammonium chloride. How do we know that's a quad? It doesn't even say quad in there. Ammonium. The ammonium, okay. Onium. It says onium in it because what they do to make a quad is they react it with ammonia, blah, blah. It's a heavy-duty chemical uh, procedure to quaternize. It's definitely not a natural, it's definitely a man-made kind of deal. But uh, does it, do the quats go bad? No, they're very stable. That's uh, one of their pluses. The reason, they're they're, very the reason I'm asking both of those questions is, is because on my shampoo rack in the garage, I realize I have almost a full gallon of one of those very, very, very concentrated cleaning products that for kennels that I think came from Pet Edge, but it's old. I mean, it's really old now. Do, what do I do with that? Do I, well, first of all, I'm going to look to see what's in it. So is it one of these, uh, one of their, uh, Top performance, 256. Yes. Well, then it's a quad. So here's the deal about anything with the number 256 uh-huh. is a quad. It's a quad. It, not, it isn't just a quad. It's a particular, it's a particular mixture. It's like quad number 256. Well, it's. Or a combination like, of. Well, wait a minute. Let me find my other. It's a combination of two. Anything that has two fifty six in it is a quaternary ammonium compound made by Mason Chemical, and the registered name is Mayquat two fifty six NHQ. Okay. And so here, and uh, and so. This single registered product 
is sold using many different names. The top performance Wintergreen 256, top performance Cherry 256. That's the one I have is the Cherry one. Okay, yeah, people seem to like the Cherry. Well, that's this Mayquat 256 NHQ. Another one that's the same thing, Best Shot 256. Well, I don't open it very often. Do I keep it? Do I toss it? Hazardous waste? Sorry, there goes the cat again. (laughs) Well. It makes me cough. Well, then don't use it, for Christ's sake. Well, that's why it's still sitting there, but now I'm not sure what to do with it. Yeah, well, just definitely don't put it in, don't put all of that down the drain in one thing. You could... Yeah. You could dispose of it in in the, here and there every other day, you know. <clears throat> you know, but it 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 has uh, it's toxic to fish. It's um, yeah, I don't want it. But I've got a fish in on. in general, um, the uh, they have good stability in in terms of quats don't usually turn into something else. Uh, when left unopened or something like that, you know, and you don't need to throw it away uh, in a day. And so they're not like, it's not like bleach where the bleach is likely to uh, uh, become less, yeah, change in the the bottle, in the gallon, in the jug uh, within three years. No, three months. Actually, three months is, was our shelf life. No, um, all right. And the other thing that's good about quats is they're they're not corrosive. Okay, they're, they're not corrosive, so they're not going to um, rust your your metal parts or um, eat away at your stainless steel. No, our environment does that by itself. We don't need any help with that out here. My <laughs> God. So, so what does two fifty? You know, and another another groomer product that uses this same combination of uh, quaternaries is Davis Dayquiles. Okay, so it must it's be a, effective. It's effective and um, reasonably priced, maybe. Yeah, but I, but <clears throat> you know what I would do. This is a situation. Where you could buy the cheapest. Okay. You know, because it's the same thing. Right. If it has 256 behind it, it's the same thing. And in uh, on the groom pod discussion group, under the um, ban discussion, yes. I, I posted the link to the uh, technical reference about this stuff and it names all the names that Mayquat 256 is sold under. It's not necessarily uh, have to have the 256. There's a whole bunch of names that don't use that number. But if you see that number 256, you know it's this stuff. It's, uh, let me read what it is. Alkyl dimethyl benzyl ammonium chloride 6.76%. And then diacyl dimethyl ammonium chloride ten point one 
4%. You just wanted to impress us with your linguistics. I did. I wanted to show you that I can say that. That always gets good marks with me. <laughs> well, it's just, it's got one of them that's 6.76% and another one that's 10.1%. And it also has some uh, ethanol in it. Uh, okay. Probably less than 1%. It is effective against pseudonomous, but it's in general, clots are less effective against gram-negative bacteria than gram-positive. Um, here's, here's a thing. It needs a 10-minute contact time. Oh, that's pretty important <laughs> right there. Cause, so you can't that's, just spray that, it on your table and wipe it off. No, you can't spray it on your table and wipe it off. It's not good as a wipe-off. It's, uh, you know, it's good as a... Um, mop it and leave it for a while kind that of is really thing. important it's really yeah. important that uh, because if you um if you wipe it off if you don't allow for that 10 minute time uh you're not going to have as as effective an antimicrobial effect and that's what we do when we do that kind of thing. That's contributing to to resistance. Right. You know, so it's the same thing if you use a, a pesticide as a flea killer and you don't leave it on the right amount of time and there's more survivors that survive the... It's uh, <laughs> a cat again. <laughs> I don't know. Doing <laughs> okay, he's probably looking for Bert, who has yeah, been outside. Yeah, he's looking for something. Has he been fed today? Oh yes, diabetic cat gets fed at nine o'clock. Oh, that's <laughs> that's him. So. <laughs> but he is over at the kibble, so you know he must be hungry. Who knows? So I'm going to tell you now how the. Um, yeah, it requires 10 minutes to achieve a full disinfection. So how it how it kills bacteria is that it interferes with the function of the cell membrane resulting in leakage of cell components uh, and ev an eventual destruction of the cell. So that's why it requires 10 minutes. Makes it's, sense. It's got to stay attached in order to mess up the uh, cell membrane, yeah, I'm just checking my just checking my notes. Uh, anything? It's pretty much that's pretty much it. Okay. So it's not totally undesirable. Okay. Yeah, uh, and I used to use I used to use it. I used to use a clot before I went to using the steam cleaning and um, vinegar and. I'm going to do the vinegar and salt. I want to try that. Cool. Okay, well, let's take a moment, and then we'll be back with our At the Table segment, which is to ask Barbara questions. Okay. Oh, goody. <laughs> yes, goody, goody, goody. We love our sponsors, like Show Season. Let me tell you about my favorite Show Season products. 
True Tearless is a hypoallergenic, scent-free shampoo that really cleans and never, ever leaves a fragrance. Pair it with the hypo conditioner and you have a winning, smell-free combination. Results Rinse is an after-bath rinse that lightly conditions and protects without adding any weight to scissored coats. It aids in drying time and it helps with brush outs too. Show Season carries Barbara's Essential Oil Blends and Mellow Pet Shampoo, Blueberry Products, Delicious Colognes, Hemp Products, a Feline Line, Spa and Natural Options, and so much more. You can find Show Season Animal Products at all shows and through lots of distributors like Cascade Grooming Supplies. And you can check out all their products at their website, thebestpetshampoo.com, or call 678-382-0218. Make every season a show season. Let's see what's happening at the grooming table. All right, Barbara, I'm going to pull up our Facebook questions. We've got two of them we're going to answer today. The first one is one that's pretty much, yeah, actually, they're both kind of you, but no, I guess the second one is me. Me too. But the first one is basically you. And it is a question about that fantastic new website, Nextdoor. Oh, yes. Nextdoor. Yeah, yes. the neighborhood website. So Linda Trader asks, Nextdoor app, how does it benefit groomers? How do you use it? Do you have a business and a personal page and link them on, like on Facebook? Do you post pictures like on Facebook? How do you generate new clients by using Nextdoor? I am both um, a neighborhood member and a recommended business. Um, as a as a neighborhood me member, I posted pictures of all of my animals because then I've got that so that if they get out and lost, I've got those pictures to refer to. Or, you know, um, Great they're already they're already there you know they um and <clears throat> but you you can't you can't use Nextdoor in the same aggressive way that you would use a facebook page or something but you want it can be a very good source of referral what you really want to do is to get a customer a happy customer to post a recommendation for your establishment. Okay. You know, you, you can do a business page and do just a kind of summary of <clears throat> who you are at the party, you know, right. what you excel at and what's good about your business, but it really can make a difference when there's some posts on there from happy customers. I, I had, uh, I've had a number of client of new clients uh, come because they saw me recommended uh, on the next door. It's a good, it's a good, I, I really like the next door thing and um, it's free, right? Yeah, it's free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it doesn't allow you to do a lot of aggressive marketing, but you can do some, uh, it's important nonetheless. And, uh, and then I also received, uh, I also got a new Scotty in that 
came from some kind of a small Scotty in Tucson Facebook group. So, so on the le- on the left side of the next door website, they have a place that's pet directory. So it's just listed right there, pet directory. So list your business in there. Um, add your picture of your pet. That's the picture of your pet place. It looks like. Yeah. Okay. So pet directory is where you put the pictures of your pets if you lose them. For sale and free, I suppose would be the spot that you would post an ad for your business. Um, it's a pretty easy to navigate website and they pop up suggestions for you to help you along. So just go check it out, Linda. I think it's a good idea. It's free. Why not? Right. You know, and, 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 and what you can do is going to vary a little bit with the, your local moderator. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because some, some allow more of a sales pitch than others. So you know, like just take advantage of it. It's a, it's a good one. People are liking it. And, um, yeah, it gets a lot of activity. It it gets a lot of pet activity. So it's, it's a pet friendly kind of a place. Pet lovers go there. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Okay. Okay. Next question. April Johnson wants to know getting toenails to the getting toes, toes, nail, (laughs) April Johnson yes. <laughs> April Johnson wants to know getting toenails quick to recede. Has anyone had any luck doing it and what is the trick? In 12 years I don't feel like I can point to any real reduction. They're not necessarily getting worse but not getting better. So, I have a comment about this. My mom had a beagle and I did her nails every other week and aside from the reshaping of the nail which makes it appear to be a little bit shorter. I think that quicks have a natural length. And I know you can kind of push them back a little bit, but I don't know that you can make huge dramatic changes in the way the dog's quicks are. Because if you think of dogs that are on cement out in the yard and they wear their nails down so that it's basically exposed quick, the quick never recedes past the area. It just ends up exposed at the end and kind of hard over. How much positive experience have you had, Barbara, in getting quicks to recede? None. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Yeah. Well, I good. I, <laughs> that, so that, that wraps that up. <laughs> now, um, I've been disappointed in, in uh, and I just think that, that that expectation is unrealistic because I agree. I think the quicks have their own... Uh, predetermined kind of thing now, but how do they do show dogs? Well, show dogs quicks are started as a puppy and they just don't let them get long. But once you let the nail grow longer, the quicks extend out. It's really hard to chase them back. I I think you would have to do um, almost a veterinary yeah, you know, I mean, you would you would have to quick them. You would have to seriously hurt the dog to uh, get the quicks back to show late. Yeah, uh, and what I, I would say, I wouldn't want to do that. No, what I say is when your dog goes in for a procedure where it is anesthetized, 
pay the vet to have them quick the dog get it completely as short as you possibly can let him scar over but i still contend that it's going to grow back eventually get to the length where it goes to and then it's just going to stop at that length and you know whether it's curled around or whether it's short or straight that you have a little bit of effect on but i don't think you really have an effect on the quick either so barbara i'm really glad to hear that we're on the same side on that one <laughs> woohoo and on that note, we are going to wrap it up for this week because we're long, but, you know, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly you don't. <laughs> oh, you know, I don't because I never shut up. It's just the way it is. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, thanks for being here with us, guys. We will see you next week and happy grooming. Thanks for being here, Barbara. Love you. See you next time. All right. See you next week, everybody. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye. See ya. <laughs>